Good morning. If you're reading in the Pew Bibles together, we're going to be on page 976. Starting in chapter, or chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built under the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thank you, Melody. Uh, let me begin by asking you a question. What does home mean to you? What does home mean to you? Where do you feel at home? A number of years ago, there was a TV commercial back in the UK, and it was framed around this idea of home. And it was basically this montage of clips of people answering this question. And I wonder which of these have resonance with you. See, what does home mean to you? Home, home is where we feel safe. A home is where our family is. Home is where all our memories are bound up. Home is where we want to go at the end of the day. Home is where things are the way they're supposed to be. Uh, we love home, don't we? Home is important. Uh, we speak about going home for Thanksgiving. We speak about the kids coming home at Thanksgiving. We care about home. Now, of course, when we think of home, home for some of us might come with difficult memories. Uh, growing up, maybe home was marked by real trials. Uh, maybe right now, a home is filled with real challenges. Uh, even going into this holiday season, it can remind us that home is a potentially really quite a lonely place. And yet the idea of home is still there, isn't it? Oh, we long for home. We want to find a home. And so the question for us really is this, where can we find a home? Where can we find a home where we truly belong? You see, that commercial, the way it finished was this, at the root of it is the idea that there is somewhere for all of us, somewhere we feel known, somewhere we're cared for, somewhere where we are welcomed in, somewhere we belong. We want home. So where can we find a home? 
Well, as we turn to our passage this morning, we are greeted with the wonderful news that we have indeed been welcomed in. And so we have a home. So we have been welcomed in beyond our wildest dreams. And so we have a home where we truly belong. See, if you were here last week, you'll notice that we're actually covering some of the verses we looked at last week. And so what Josh did there, he, he, he helped us dive into the history, the background to what we're looking at this morning. So what we're going to do is build on last week and then trace it all the way through. And what we find is that beyond our wildest dreams, we have been welcomed in and we have a home where we truly belong. And so with that in mind, let's dive in. We have been welcomed in. See, all the way through the passage, you'll have noticed while Melody read, there's these series of contrasts. Those who are far, those who are near, those who are outside, those who are inside. And it's on the far side of this contrast that Paul begins. Absolute outsiders. That's where he begins. Verse 11. See, last week, Josh helped us unpick uh, the significance of what it would be to be a Gentile to be uncircumcised. And so if we read verse 11, really we can have the phrase absolute outsiders in mind. Therefore, remember that at one time you absolute outsiders in the flesh, called the absolute outsiders by those who are called the insiders. It reminds me of a time when we were visiting Israel on vacation. And it was a lovely time. We loved our time there. But one memory in particular was when we were in the old city And so you can picture these really narrow streets we're walking through and lined by market stalls on either side. And so as you'd expect, there'd be all the vendors in the market stalls uh, trying to get us to come and buy some of their things. But instead of telling us what they were selling or trying to ask us questions, they just started blurting out words. And not just any words, country names. It was very strange. You see, I was there, it was me, my wife, Wendy, my brother, David, and clearly we stuck out. They just started blurting out country names. They just said, China, Japan, Korea. No, you can laugh. We weren't offended. But it was very strange. See, it was obvious from the outside, and we knew it on the inside. We did not belong there. We were absolute outsiders. And that's where Paul begins here. We were absolute outsiders. And so in verse 12, everything here screams, not welcome. See, verse 12 Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. See, it's horrible being an outsider, isn't it? See, even if we haven't ever lived in another country, I'm sure all of us will have stories to share of times when we have felt on the edge of things, like we don't really belong. Maybe when we were growing up, maybe even as an adult, At times in a group conversation where others seem to know each other that bit better than you. Uh, They're talking about a mutual friend or an in-joke. And what do we do? We laugh along, even though we don't know what's going on. We develop this art of fitting in. We laugh hard enough to look like we know what's going on. But then we don't laugh too hard in case anyone asks us about it. Because we don't know what's going on. And yet we don't want to be found out to be an outsider. It's horrible, isn't it? And yet what Paul has in mind here is way more than just socially being excluded on the playground. You see, being an outsider in this context is being outside of God's blessing. It's horrible being an outsider in a social context, but being outside of God's blessing, 
That is literally the worst thing that could happen. Verse 12, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise. That's why it ends having no hope and without God in the world. The author, C.S. Lewis, kind of fleshes this out of what it would mean to be an outsider, what it would feel like. He says this, we can be left utterly and absolutely outside, repelled, exiled, estranged, finally and unspeakably ignored. And so he provides the alternative, kind of what we long for. We hate to be on the outside, and so what do we long for? We want to be welcomed in. We can be called in, welcomed, received, acknowledged. He describes it as this longing to be reunited with something in the universe that we've been cut off from. To be on the inside of a door that we've only ever seen from the outside. That's what we want. We hate being outsiders, and we want to be welcomed in. And what Paul says is that that is precisely what has happened to us in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, this is where the contrast happens. Verses 11 and 12, we were outsiders, absolute outsiders. And yet, verse 13, now we've been brought near. And then verse 14 to 18, Paul basically unpacks the why and the how of how we've been welcomed in. Uh, You may have noticed, as Melody read, some of the details can be a little bit hard to follow, but even as we read it through once, repeated things come up. It's through Jesus that we've been welcomed in. He's brought peace. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. Peace between us and God, peace between us and each other. He's made the two one. No longer insider and outsider, but now one. He's destroyed that division in between two. And so maybe we can summarize it like this. Jesus has brought peace by destroying that division. And now Jesus has preached that peace to us, both near and far. You see, verse 14, he's destroyed that division. Uh, Verse 14, he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This law was what set that insider apart from the outsider. It was the way in which the insiders could draw near to God. And in Jesus' death, he set that aside. Now the two can be one. There's no longer the insider and outsider. Verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He's reconciled us both to God in the same way. Verse 16, in one body through the cross. No longer is there the insider and outsider. Jesus has brought peace. Peace between us and God and peace between us and each other. And then now he's preached that peace to both insider and outsider. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. There's no insider privileges anymore. They're no nearer than the outsider. We've both been reconciled to God in the same way. We have access to the same Father through the same Christ, by the same Spirit. Jesus has brought peace. We've been brought near. No longer, verse 13, are we absolute outsiders. We've been welcomed in. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we have worked our way in. 
It's not like we were absolute outsiders and we just kept knocking at the door for long enough and then the door finally opened. It's not like we slipped in our resume under the door and then God took a second thought and thought, actually, oh, maybe you should come in. We've been welcomed in. This is an act of grace. We could never have worked our way in. You'll remember a few weeks ago, the first half of chapter 2, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We could never have got our own way in. We didn't deserve to belong. And yet, through the blood of Christ, we have been welcomed in. We have a welcome that isn't dependent on our own actions, isn't dependent on how attractive we are, isn't dependent on our own merits, but dependent on the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the kind of welcome that we've received. Uh, let me read you a slightly longer quote, this time from a pastor called Ray Ortland. And this is the way that he opened up a Sunday gathering once. This is the welcome to Sunday morning. And it captures, I think, what Paul says here beautifully. You may have noticed when you walked in that the doors out there are painted red. That is an old Christian tradition because we enter into the church through the blood of Christ. Out in that world we live in the rest of the week, we never measure up. Our lives are never complete. We never fully belong. Then we come into the church through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And what makes the difference here? The reason why we belong, we're walking into completeness already prepared. Therefore, we can be weak. We can be honest with ourselves, with one another, and with the Lord. And he says, we belong. Welcome. So to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her red doors. In the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners, welcome. I'm glad you're here. That is the welcome we have received if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, if we have put our faith in Jesus we are no less welcome than anyone else here because it isn't dependent on us. We have been welcomed in. Now, it might be that for some of us here, we haven't yet put our faith in Jesus Christ. We know about Jesus. We're familiar with Jesus. And yet we haven't really put our faith and trust in him. If that is you, the offer is there. He says, welcome. What's holding you back? Because if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have been welcomed beyond our expectations. We were absolute outsiders. We could never have worked our way in. We didn't belong. And yet, by his grace, we've been welcomed in. And what that means is that we have a home. We have a home where we truly belong. See, everything that we've looked at drives towards verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We were outsiders, and now we are insiders. We've been welcomed in, and now we have a home where we truly belong. A number of years ago, I was at a wedding, and I love weddings, but I always have this big, big fear at weddings. See, when it comes to the time it comes to the uh, reception, the evening banquet, in the UK at least, there'd be this big board 
with all the names of the guests of your seating chart. And so there's a real pressure there because there'll be lots of people coming through and you've got to quickly find your name. You know, if it's a big wedding, there's lots of names. Find your name, understand which table that is, and then work out what that means in reality. So at best, it's stressful, but there's an even bigger fear. What if, I'm ready for it, what if your name isn't there? I know, it's horrible, isn't it? Well, at this wedding, there I was, looking at the list. Where are you sitting, Will? Not sure. My name wasn't there. I want the ground to swallow me up. Now, I was convinced I should be there, not because I was great, but because I knew both bride and groom. I knew them before they started dating. I saw them get engaged. I had discipled this guy for the past year. I said prayers at their service. So, talked to the groomsmen. They sorted it out. I found a table. But here's the thing. For the rest of that meal, there's that niggling feeling. Should I really be here? Am I supposed to be here? Do I really belong. Well, Paul says we have been welcomed in beyond our expectations, and so now we really do have a home where we truly belong. And he kind of fleshes this out with a few different images. We're fellow citizens, he says. We're family members. And then in verse 20 onwards, we are in fact the dwelling place of God. Fellow citizens, verse 19. See, as a citizen, you have the right to belong. You see it at the border. They don't ask you questions when you come back into your home country. See, if you're a visitor, if you're a foreigner, they grill you with all sorts of questions. And even though you know you haven't done anything wrong, you're still not sure. What if they turn me away? But when you're a citizen, you have no fear. You will never be turned away from your home country. They might even say, welcome home. They don't say that to me here. If I go back to the UK, you know, go back to the promised land, they'll say, welcome home, but not here. But if you are a citizen, wow, you belong. And of course, if you're a citizen, you're never citizens just individually. It's a collective idea. We're citizens together, fellow citizens with the saints, the people of God. There's a unity there. Each citizen is just as much a citizen as the citizen next to them. We, see, we say we are citizens. Think in this room, the vast, vast majority, citizens of the United States of America. That does, that does sound good, I'll be honest. But I can outdo you with that. We, me and you, we are citizens, fellow citizens of the kingdom of God with all of God's people throughout the world, throughout all of history. That is who we are. We have a home where we truly belong. We're fellow citizens. More than that, we're family members. It's as if the horizon kind of gets a little bit smaller. It's a more intimate image. Family is close. If, we're, if they say welcome home at the border, that might be nice. But if we hear welcome home at the front door, well, it's that much more special, isn't it? Think of uh, when you might introduce a friend who's really close. You might even say, hey, here's my friend John. He's like a brother to me. Wow. That's a big accolade, isn't it? You don't say that kind of thing lightly. It means there's a real trust and intimacy there, affection, dependence, reliance on each other. Family is close. Think about adoption. The ultimate welcome into the family. 
I remember speaking to a friend about a child they adopted. I didn't know this before, but apparently they changed their birth certificate to their name. That boy is one of them. And no one, never can take that away from him. He's a family member. And so, of course, it makes sense that as we come to the table later for the Lord's Supper, we come as brothers and sisters. We're family. We have a home where we truly belong. And then in verse 20, Paul kind of changes the metaphor here. He goes into a building image. So just listen in to all the construction language here. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, those that God has spoken through. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the most important stone in the building project, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's how close we are. The horizon gets even closer. We're being cemented together like bricks and mortar. That's how close we are. We couldn't get away from each other even if we tried. And of course, together then, we become a building. So imagine a box of Lego blocks. What do you call them? You call them a bunch of Lego pieces, Legos. And yet, what would, you, what would happen if you took those pieces out and started placing them next to each other, cementing them together? We don't call them a collection of pieces anymore. We call this our masterpiece. It's a building. It's a thing now. Well, according to Paul, that is what's happening to us. That's how close we are together to each other. But of course, it's not just any building, a normal building. The dwelling place of the living God. You see, God, he's everywhere. We say he's omnipresent. You can't contain him in a box. And yet, throughout the Bible, we see God promising to be with his people in a special way. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was with his people in the wilderness. He dwelt in his temple in Jerusalem so that the nations would look at his people and think, wow, their God is with them. In Jesus, God dwells with us. And now by his spirit, he is with his people. You see, God is building a temple, but not with bricks and mortar, not with Lego pieces, but with ordinary believers like you and me. Or maybe put it this way. Not like ordinary believers like you and me. He's building it with you and me. This morning, today. See, we are fellow citizens. We're family members. We're the dwelling place of God. Earlier we talked about how far we were. You can't get much closer than this, can you? We have been welcomed in. And so we have a home where we truly belong. And it's as we grasp this, as we grasp the magnitude of the welcome, and as we grasp the wonder of the home that we have, things could never be the same again. This unity that we have, this intimacy we share, the cosmic significance of who we are as God's people, if we really grasp that, we can never look at each other the same again. Think about it. In fact, let me try something. Have a look at the people around you. I know it's uncomfortable. You don't have to make eye contact. If you happen to make eye contact, you can smile or frown. Have a look, have a look around. Jamie, have a look around. Okay. Uh, you'll have seen a whole number of different faces, right? Some you'll know. 
some you won't know so well, but they're actual faces, not just in the abstract, actual people. Well, here's the thing. Those people that you can picture in your mind's eye right now, they are a fellow citizen. That face that you now picture of, someone that you might not even know the name of, family. That person who maybe you've never talked to much, you don't know much about them, they are part of God's great building project. It totally shapes how we look at each other. We can never look at each other the same again. And more than that, it shapes how we even think of ourselves. You see, all this language of being welcomed in, of having a place we belong, it sounds nice, doesn't it? But it doesn't always feel like that. Oh, sure, we know we've been welcomed in in the abstract, but in the day-to-day, if we're honest, a lot of us just feel on the edge of things. That little bit less connected than everyone else. You see, for some of us here, perhaps we are from elsewhere. Our appearance shows that we don't belong. Maybe if we haven't moved from a different country, just from a different place in this country, uh, a different cultural background, maybe even a different economic background, and we see how, wow, everyone else seems to just know each other that bit better than me. Well, friends, if that is you, know this. You are no less, not one bit, no less a fellow citizen as everyone else here. For some of us, perhaps we're single, and we'd love to be married, but we're not right now. Uh, perhaps we don't have any children, and we'd love to have children, and painfully we can't or don't right now. And then we see how all that energy and attention gets given to families. And we might just think, wow, we're just a bit on the edge. Well, if that is you, know this. You are no less a family member of the household of God. Or for some of us, perhaps we're a bit older. Or just in in our stage of life and circumstances, we don't feel like we're going places. And then we see all these other people with a whole future ahead. We talk about where they're going to go, the things they're going to do in the future. If that is you, know this. You are no less integral at peace in God's great building project. We're fellow citizens. We're family members. We are the dwelling place of the living God. Going back to that wedding story I told you when I didn't see my name on the guest list. Well, for the rest of the meal, I had this niggling feeling. What if I don't belong? What if I'm not supposed to be here? Well, after the speeches were done, the bride and groom, they came to the tables to say hi to the guests, and the groom came straight to our table. In fact, he came straight to me. And he said, Will, I'm sorry for the mix-up. And then he looked me in the eye, and he said, but I want you to know you're supposed to be here. Now, I wish I could look at all of you in the eye at the same time when I said this. But if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're supposed to be here. We have a home where we truly belong. We have been welcomed in beyond our wildest dreams. And now we have a home where we belong. And so what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? See, in these verses, we don't really get a command as such, anything to do. We don't really get many of them until chapter 4. And yet, it would be difficult to read what we've read this morning, 
to hear what we've heard, and then to go out those doors as if nothing was different, right? See, if we truly grasp what the welcome is that we've received, if we truly grasp the home that we have, we will end up moving towards each other. That's what we do. We move towards each other if this is who we are. You see, think of it this way. Who would we move towards? Think back to those people you saw when you looked around. Some of them will be quite similar to us, similar age and stage of life, similar personality. Some of them will be totally different from us, different culture, different occupation. And yet, what have we seen? They are no less a fellow citizen, no less a family member, no less part of God's great building project. See, if left to our own devices, we just end up moving towards those we're similar to, we're comfortable with. And yet, if we truly grasp who we are in Jesus Christ, we will move towards those who are totally different to us. Who could you move towards this week? Who could you move towards? And then when would we do that? See, of course, on a Sunday morning, this would be a great opportunity to move towards each other. That's one of the reasons why we gather, we move towards each other. But it would be very strange, wouldn't it, if we all came on a Sunday morning, we sang the same songs, we declared our shared love, and then we all drove back to our separate lives. That would be like going to a concert or a football match. Now, we're way more than that, right? Surely, moving towards each other would be in the day-to-day. Who could you think of this week? Drop them a message, drop them a call, just to spur them on so they know that you're thinking of them. Who could you involve in the day-to-day life? You know, maybe our diaries are maxed out. But who can we involve in the things that are already in our diaries? Maybe we're planning to go to a park or a gardens, look at a Christmas display, a Christmas event. Who else would enjoy that? Who could you involve in your day-to-day life? Who could you draw in and welcome? Maybe we've got meal plans outside in the home. Who could you involve? Maybe as you think about next year, we'll be signing up kids to various classes and courses. Who else might enjoy that? Who else might benefit from that? We would move towards each other in the day-to-day, and then we'd go deeper than the surface. See, what would it look like? What would it involve to move towards each other? See, if we're not just a social club, we're the citizens of God's kingdom, family members of God's household, part of his great building project, then surely we'd be dissatisfied with staying on the surface. And so instead of just asking, what's the week been like? You know, what have we done this week? We might ask things like, well, what's been on your mind? Uh, Instead of just asking what's coming up, maybe we can ask, oh, is there anything weighing on your heart as you look ahead to December? Maybe come January, look back on the holiday season. Instead of just asking what happened, we could ask, was there anything particularly encouraging about celebrations over December? I'm sure you'll have many better ideas, but just little ways we can open up the conversation to go deeper. We move towards each other. See, that's the who and the when and the what. But really the big question is, how? How do we find the resources to do this? Because moving towards each other costs. It's awkward sometimes. It costs us some of our convenience. It costs us some of our uh, individual freedoms. So how do we find the resources to actually move towards each other? 
And this is where we'll finish. Now, let's look at this one detail we glossed over in verse 20. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, we've already seen how it's in Jesus that we've been welcomed, that it's in Jesus we have this home. But how did that even come about? Well, we get a little clue here. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What Paul is doing, he's pulling on this Old Testament thread where Jesus is presented as the cornerstone. Uh, Isaiah 28, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. This is God's big building project. But then in Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, what's pictured here is this. These builders, they come across this piece of stone and they think to themselves, this looks like rubbish. And so they throw it out the back. When all along, that very stone will in the end become the cornerstone, the most important stone in the building project. Sets the entire level and angle of the whole building. And we see that that is exactly what happened to Jesus in the gospel accounts. You see, the Jewish authorities, they were the ultimate insiders. And yet when they saw Jesus, they wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to kick him out. And that is exactly what they did. They handed him over to be crucified. See, Jesus left the glory of heaven and became the ultimate outsider on earth. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless in his own world. And he got kicked out by the insiders. And then at the cross, he was utterly alienated, taken outside the city to be crucified rejected and left behind and deserted by all his closest friends. When he died, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, what we find is that Jesus was exiled so that we could be welcomed in. He was exiled so that we could be brought home. And it's as we grasp that the extent to which that melts our hearts, the extent to which that captivates us, that will be the extent to which we will find the resources to move towards each other. We have been welcomed in, and now we have a home where we truly belong. Let's pray. Father, we're astounded by uh, the magnitude of the welcome we've received. Lord, we know it's not a welcome we deserved or that we earned for ourselves, and so we give you thanks for that welcome. And we praise you for the wonder of the home we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done, we belong. We pray that you would melt our hearts with that and that we might therefore move towards each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.